We are in a study through the book of Second Peter right now. Encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Second Peter. We'll be looking this morning at verses 12 down through 21. As we started our study through this letter, we noted that Peter is talking about Christian maturity. That, uh, that there is a need in the life of every Christian to grow, to become spiritually mature, to uh, be more like Jesus Christ in our everyday lives. And Peter is writing about issues that are taking place in the lives of his, of those who are reading this letter that, uh, can detract from that. He's going to talk about false teachers who who are saying that they can just live their life however they want to live it. And he will talk about faithful living in hard times. And he's going to talk about the fact that the return of Jesus Christ should have an effect on our everyday lives and choices. As he opened the letter in chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, Peter, Peter began with a premise of of basically saying this, if you truly know Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ should be seen in you. In other words, knowing Jesus Christ should change your life. Knowing Jesus Christ should be making a difference in your everyday life. And in the first chapter 1 verses 3 and 4, he noted that Everything that we need as a Christian has been given to us by Jesus Christ to enable us to live for Him. And that's a truth that we need to remember. That, that it, it, sometimes we don't really believe that as Christians, that I can actually live for Jesus Christ, but Peter says it's true. At the moment of faith, at the moment we put our trust in the person of Jesus Christ, that he is God, that he died for us and rose again from the dead, and we put our dependence on him instead of our ourselves, thinking that we can be a good enough person or earn merit with God, at that moment we are equipped with everything that we need to live for him. And then Peter goes on to say, since that's true, in chapter 1, verses 5 through 11, let's do it. Let's pursue him. Let's pursue Christ-likeness. Let's take the steps that we need to take in our lives to live holy lives, lives set apart for the person of Jesus Christ. And having said that, now Peter is going to turn in chapter 1, verses 12 through 20 to talk about the return of Jesus Christ. And we're going to see that in Peter's heart and mind, Jesus' return has a lot to do with how we live our lives today. I'm going to read the section in its entirety, starting in chapter 1, verse 12, down through 21. You can follow along in your copy of the Bible. Second Peter, chapter 1, starting the reading of verse 12. Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them, And have been established in the truth which is present with you. I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of a reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. 
And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. For we do not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men, moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. Peter makes a connection between the truth that Jesus Christ is going to come back to earth and set up his reign on earth to how we live. That there is a direct relationship between the follower of Jesus being cognizant, being aware that Jesus could come back today, and our ability, our willingness, our desire to live for him in such a way that when people see us, they see Christ in us. This past weekend, I was in Dallas, Texas, and my wife, Barbara, has a first cousin, uh, John, who is a famous artist in Texas. And I had lunch with John. It was a joy to be with him. And uh, he does a lot of painting. His art focuses on life in Texas. And he has a very good friend named Daniel Vaughn. Daniel Vaughn has the perfect job. He is the he works for Texas Monthly Magazine. And he is the barbecue editor. And so what Daniel Vaughn does every day is he goes to new barbecue shacks in Texas, eats their food, and writes about it. It's like, Daniel Vaughn, I want your job. (laughs) And what Barb's cousin does is he takes Daniel Vaughn's list and he does paintings of these different Barbecue shacks all over Texas. He had a show at an art uh, gallery in Dallas that just ended last weekend. The title of the show, meaning the theme, all the paintings that he did, the title of the show was Meat. Oh, I'd have my name written all over it. Now, John was telling me that when Daniel Vaughn goes to your restaurant and likes it, You are sitting great. In fact, the restaurant, the barbecue shack that he ranks the highest in Texas is only open one day a week. It's run by a woman in her mid-80s. And people on that one day a week on Saturday start lining up at 5.30 in the morning just to have a chance to get some of her barbecue. Now, the problem is those who own these barbecue shacks, don't know when Daniel Vaughn is going to come. 
And if Daniel Vaughn comes to your barbecue shack and doesn't like it, that's not a good thing. That won't be a happy day for you. You say it's important to always be ready so that if Daniel Vaughn comes, you are able to show him your best. And what Peter is saying to his readers and to us today is that we too always need to be ready. Why? Because we are waiting for one that when he gets here, we want him to see us living for him, emulating him, living in Christ-likeness. And that's Peter's motivation that he wants to show us today and that we want to see here in verses 12 down through verse 21. Remember back with me just for a moment. Again, in chapter 1, verse 3, Peter says in verse 3, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Everything that we need to live the Christian life he has given to us. And then he goes on in verses 5 through 11 and says, now let's do it. Let's pursue him with all of our heart. Let's let's take the steps that we need to take so that his life can be seen in ours. Now, we talked about the fact that ultimately we cannot live for Jesus Christ apart from the Spirit of God and apart from his empowerment. Living the Christian life is not us pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps thinking if I just try harder. Living the Christian life is allowing the Spirit of God to be in such control of our lives that He is able to replicate Jesus Christ's life through us. Living the Christian life is by His grace, by His power. But Peter also reminds us that we have choices to make as well. That we need to make daily life choices to pursue Him. To take the steps that we need to take So that we can grow and mature in our lives. Now, Peter says in verse 12 of chapter 1, Therefore, therefore, since this is true, since we've been equipped to live the Christian life, therefore, since this is true, that we need to take active steps to pursue him, therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. You see, Peter is saying this. Since we've been equipped to live for Jesus and are to actively pursue him, to pursue Christ-likeness, we are to remind each other of these truths. Peter says it's important to remember. Again, verse 12. Brethren... Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things. The stuff that he's just written and the the things that he will write here in this letter. I'm always there to remind you of these things. Verses 12 through 15 are transitional. Peter wants to tell his readers two things. He wants to tell them that he commends them because they are doing this. They're growing And he also wants to tell them that his time on earth is really short. And so these are kind of like his last words to them. And so he says, listen up. This is important. These are the last things I will ever be able to write to you because I'm going to die soon. 
And so he says, I'm here writing this letter to remind you of things that you already know. And it's important for us as Christians to continually urge each other on, encourage each other on with truths that we already know, but we need to keep in the forefront of our thinking. And that's what Peter's doing. I'm reminding you that you are already equipped to live for Jesus Christ. I'm reminding you, verse 4, of his precious and magnificent promises. I'm writing to remind you. And by the way, verses 13, 14, and 15, as long as I'm in this earthly dwelling, in this body, I'm writing to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. Most likely, Peter here is referring to the Gospel of John, chapter 21, verses 18 through 19, when Jesus told Peter, alluded to Peter, gave him a glimpse of how he would die. And Peter is sensing that this time is near, that his time on earth is very, very short. So he said, this is it. This is my last thing I'm writing to you. Listen up. This is important. And so with that said, Peter says, it's important that I remind you of these truths that we have in Jesus Christ. It's important for me to remind you of his promises, his precious and magnificent promises. Every Thursday morning, I get together with three or four other guys between eight and nine, and we pray with each other. And we don't really take time for prayer requests. What we do is we take a different passage of Scripture each week, and we use that passage of Scripture as just kind of a guide to our prayer. And in our prayer time, we focus in on just declaring back to the Lord who He is in His attributes and in His character. And we we say back to the Lord in prayer as we talk with Him just some of his promises and and what he has said that he will do in the life of the Christian. And then we claim those in prayer. And I always leave so encouraged because we're really reminded of who God is as we talk with him. And we're reminded of, as what Peter says here, of his precious and magnificent promises to us. And Peter's saying we all need to be reminded. We regularly need to be reminded of what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us and who he is and what he's promised to do. So Peter says, as he brings this first section to a close, I'm writing to remind you and listen up Because my time on earth is short. And having said that, he now begins the main body of the letter and he starts diving into some of the issues that he wants to address in this second letter that he's written, 2 Peter. And we see that beginning in chapter 1, verse 16. And we're going to look at this last part of the chapter in two sections, 16 through 18 and 19 through 21. And in 16 through 18, he's talking about Jesus' return. And he's going to share that Jesus' return is reason for us to live for him. The fact that Jesus is coming back 
is a call for us to live for him in holiness. Meaning that we are to live lives that are completely set apart for Jesus. That every aspect of our life is to be lived for him. That he needs to be the grid through which we measure what we think, what we do, what our priorities are, how we spend our time. Every aspect of our life is to be dedicated to him. And Peter is saying, us being aware that he's coming back pushes us on to living for him. So he says in verse 16, For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now, all of our English translations, in my opinion, don't quite catch what Peter is doing in this verse. Because the main part of the sentence, the main verb, is actually in the middle of the sentence. This sentence could actually be translated this way. For not following cleverly devised tales, we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's his main point. Peter is saying, we've made this known to you. And in so doing, in telling you that Jesus Christ is coming back, in so doing that, we weren't following just a tale. It wasn't like a bunch of us got together and said, hey, this sounds kind of cool, let's write it down. No, Peter is saying, it wasn't a cleverly devised tale. We made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when we look at the New Testament, we see that the return of Jesus Christ is central in the thinking of the New Testament writers. It's so important that the New Testament writers, when they share the gospel, often also talk about Jesus' return. Peter did it in Acts 3. I encourage you to turn with me to Acts 3, verses 19 through 21. Acts 3, 19 through 21. Peter's preaching here. And in Acts 3, starting the read in, uh, in verse 19, Peter says this, Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus, the Christ, appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things, about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient time. So here Peter is saying, turn away from sin, instead turn toward Jesus Christ, So you can experience forgiveness of sin so that Jesus Christ one day will come back and set up his reign on earth. You see, for Peter, the good news is the good news about who Jesus is, that he's God, that he died for us and rose again, and Jesus Christ is coming back. And so here, Peter in 2 Peter chapter 1 is saying, we've been faithful. We have told you Jesus is coming back. Now, why is Peter stressing this? Well, there's an issue. And we're going to get to it when we get to chapter 3, but I want to look at it briefly right now. If you look at chapter 3 of 2 Peter, starting to read in verse 3, we see a taste of this issue. Know this first of all, 
that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. So there's some false teachers. They're saying, hey, you guys keep talking about Jesus coming back. Jesus isn't coming back. You keep talking about it. Where is he? Do you know that there's a group of theologians today who are arguing that Jesus is not coming back? They're arguing that his coming to earth happened when he came as baby Jesus and that everything is just going to continue the way it is. That's false teaching. And Peter is addressing it here in Second Peter. And through the written word, he's addressing that today. Peter is saying, this isn't just a bunch of stuff that we came up with. We're not following cleverly devised tales. We made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, we were eyewitnesses of it. Now, what Peter's going to do is he's going to bolster this statement. He wants to affirm to his readers and to us that it is absolutely true that Jesus Christ is returning. That Jesus Christ is yet to come back to earth. And the first thing that Peter turns to is what Bible teachers call the Mount of Transfiguration. And that's recorded for us in one of the places in Mark chapter 9. If you want to keep your finger in Second Peter and turn with me to the Gospel of Mark chapter 9. And in Mark 9, we find this account of Peter and James and John... With Jesus. And in Mark chapter 9 verse 1. Jesus is going to make an intriguing statement. That at first they did not understand. He says this. Jesus says this in Mark 9 1. And Jesus was saying to them. Truly I say to you. There are some of those who are standing here. Who will not taste death. Until they see the kingdom of God. After it has come with power. Now remember, when that, when that Jewish person would hear about the kingdom of God, when these Christians, these new Christians would hear about the kingdom of God, they're thinking about the promised kingdom that all of the Old Testament looks toward. That David's descendant will sit on his throne over the, over God's kingdom here on earth forever and ever. And here, Jesus says, and they, and they come to a point where they realize that the anointed one, Hebrew word Messiah, Greek word Christos or Christ, the anointed one, this descendant of David, the Messiah is the one who will sit on David's throne in the kingdom. Here, Jesus says, there's some of you here today that aren't even going to die until they see the glory of the kingdom. Let's see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And then it goes on to tell us in Mark 9 verse 2. Six days later, Peter and James and John are on this mount with Jesus. And it tells us that he, in verse 2, he was transfigured before them. His garments became radiant and exceedingly white as no launderer on earth can whiten them. What happened is... Peter and James and John were given a glimpse of the glory of Jesus Christ that Philippians 2 tells us he set aside so that he could come to earth, be born of a man, and live as a man on earth so he could die for us. 
But the splendor and the majesty of the Godhead was his. As he was seated in the throne room of the heavens, he experienced, he displayed the splendor, the glory of the Godhead. And here he's given, Peter and James and John are given a little glimpse of that glory and that splendor that Jesus will display when he comes back to earth and sets up his reign. So Peter's argument is this. Jesus is coming back, and I know he is, because I was given a little glimpse of what it will be like when he comes back. And this is what it was like. Then Mark 9 tells us that a voice spoke. And out of the clouds they heard a voice that said, This is my beloved son, Mark 9, 7. Listen to him. So now as we come to Second Peter, chapter 1, Peter is saying, Hey, we've been an eyewitness of the reality, the truth that Jesus Christ is coming back. Verse 17. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. You see, Peter is saying, I know Jesus is coming back. I saw his glory that he's going to display when he comes back. And I heard the testimony of the Father about his Son saying, this is my Son. This is my son. I'm pleased in him. Listen to him. Peter's point is this. Verse 18. We ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. The promised return of Jesus is sure. And Peter says, I was an eyewitness of it. James was an eyewitness of it. John was an eyewitness of it. We saw him in all of the glory of the Godhead that he's going to display when he comes back to earth and reigns on David's throne. We heard the words of God the Father come from the heavens saying, this is my beloved son. I've seen it. I'm an eyewitness. I assure you, readers, Jesus is coming back. My youngest son works for a company in the cities, in Minneapolis-St. Paul, actually in Bloomington. The company for which he works has a national presence. In fact, they have an office here in Cedar Rapids. And when he interviewed up in the cities, they said, well, why aren't you interviewing at the Cedar Rapids office? And, of course, my son basically said, I don't want to live that close to dad. You know, so he wanted an adventure in his life. So I'll work for this company, but I don't want to live in Cedar Rapids. I want to... Spread my wings and experience life in the big city. So he lives in Minneapolis, St. Paul. A couple of weeks ago, the CEO over the entire company, the nationwide company, was coming to his office. And everybody in the office was told this. Tuesday is a coat and tie day. You wear a jacket, you wear a tie, the CEO is coming. You see, it's important that we dress appropriately because the CEO of the entire company is going to be here in the office. And here's what Peter's saying. We need to dress appropriately because our CEO is coming. Our Lord is coming. 
And just like Daniel Vaughn in Texas, we don't know when he's going to come, but we need to be ready. We need to be dressed in readiness. Peter's point is that we dress ourselves in readiness by living for Jesus every day. These false teachers are saying, Jesus isn't coming back. I can live my life any way I want. Paul, Peter says, no way. I have first-hand testimony that proves to me, Peter says, that he's coming back. I've seen the glory of God exemplified in him as he was transfigured. That same glory that he will have when he returns and sits on the throne. I've heard the words of the Father. This is my son. Listen to him. And here Peter is saying to us, we can have confidence that Jesus is coming back. Therefore, we need to live for him. In a sense, the CEO is coming. We need to be dressed in readiness. We have a program here at Faith Bible Church for children on Wednesday evenings called Awana. And the, one of the main premises of Awana is that children memorize the Bible so that the Spirit of God can use those memorized verses in that child's life all the way through adulthood. And some of the main verses that children learn early on in the WANA program is Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and following. And in Titus 2, we see that the Apostle Paul believes the same thing that Peter does, that Jesus' return is integral to us living for him. And so Paul says in Titus chapter 2, starting the read in verse 11, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. And then listen to verse 13. Looking for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Paul is saying that our awareness that Jesus is coming back should result in us living for Jesus. We need to be dressed for his coming. We need to put on Christ-likeness by allowing the Spirit of God to do such a work in us that we actually allow the Spirit of God to replicate the life of Jesus in and through us so that when people see us, they see Christ in us. And here, Peter says the same thing that Paul does. Jesus' return is sure. I've seen firsthand testimony of it. And then as we come to verses 19 through 21, Peter says this. We not only have, as Peter and James and John would attest, firsthand testimony to the glory that Jesus will have when he does return and sets up his kingdom reign, but we also have the testimony of the scripture, the Bible, the words of the prophets, And just as Peter said, we didn't just come up with stuff to share with you in verse 
16. Here in verses 19 through 21, Peter is saying when we come to our Bible, when we read scripture, we are reading a reliable testimony to Jesus Christ. We are reading the very words of God to us. As Woodrow Kroll, the long-term Bible teacher of Back to the Bible broadcasts, always said, this is the only book that God ever wrote. And so what Peter is saying to us is, you know, I saw it with my own eyes. I heard it with my own ears. I have this firsthand testimony to the fact that Jesus is coming back. But by the way, that testimony just bolsters what we also have in all of the Old Testament scriptures that the prophets have said to us that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, is coming back and he's going to set up his reign on David's throne forever and ever. And so Peter explains this in verse 19. So we have the prophetic word made more sure. Because I, Peter, and James and John were first-hand eyewitnesses of Jesus' glory on that Mount of Transfiguration, that just serves as bolstering my faith. That just bolsters my confidence in the written Word of God. It bolsters my confidence that when I read the prophets, I'm reading the very Word of God. So Peter explains it this way, verse 19. So we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. He said, the words of this book, it's like this bright light that we have in a dark world. And he says we would do well to pay attention to it until when? Until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. We're going to see in chapter 3, Peter alluding to the day of the Lord. This period of the end times of God's history here on earth. We also know from the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verse 16, that Jesus refers to himself as the morning star. Most likely what Peter is saying here is this book, we need it. And we need it until we are in the very presence of Jesus himself when he's reigning on his throne. It's a reliable source of truth. So he says to us, we've got the prophetic word made more sure to which we do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your heart. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. In other words, those who wrote, those human authors of Scripture, didn't just write down things that they thought would fit together in a neat package. They didn't sit down and say, okay, let's write this book and we'll, we'll talk about what that, that should say and I'm going to write over here. No, it wasn't just stuff that they came up with. Rather, verse 21, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men... Moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. Men spoke from God. So it is human author's work. And if you look at the writings of Peter, you'll see that Peter uses a different vocabulary than Paul. 
Peter uses different word structures or grammar than John. So every human author wrote using words and sentence structure that to which they would be accustomed. But it wasn't just them writing. In fact, it tells us here that they were moved by the Holy Spirit. If you have a New English translation, it says carried along by the Holy Spirit. It means the Holy Spirit bore them along. A human author can write one of two things, right? He can write something, he or she could write something that's true or false. But when a human author is being carried along by the Holy Spirit, all that they can write is truth. And so here, Peter says, as those authors of Scripture wrote, they were writing the very words of God to us because the Spirit of God was carrying them along so that what they wrote was truth. It's that truth that Peter tells us in verse 19 to which we need to pay attention. It's sure. This past weekend I was in Dallas and Monday before I drove out to DFW and flew home, I decided to just go for a long walk downtown. I used to work downtown a lot when I lived there because all through graduate school, the five years I lived in Dallas, I worked for a company that we delivered legal documents uh, between corporations throughout Dallas and Fort Worth. And I spent a lot of time in downtown Dallas. Some of the skyscrapers that you see today on when, when you're either there or see it on TV, I watched being built. And as I was walking around downtown, just looking at some of these skyscrapers that are 60 stories and up, all glass as they shimmer in the sun... I came to one building that just caused me to smile as I remembered the day that I was downtown watching the guys who clean the windows. Now, remember, these towers are glass, and so they require cleaning. And there's actually people that their job is to go up on the side of this building, like 65 stories up, washing the windows. I don't like going up on a stepladder. It just, it's scary to me to think about going up on the side of that building. Seriously, if I don't even want to get on my roof. And if I do, I always have my wife come out and stand by the base of the ladder and wait till I get up on top. And then when I'm done, I text her or call her and then she comes back out and stands on the ladder again so I can get down to, what is it, six or eight feet. And these people are up like 65 stories. Well, one day this day I was downtown Dallas, I looked up. And the scaffolding, which they use, had broken free. And the scaffolding was dangling like this. And there were two or three window washer guys dangling on the side of this skyscraper. Dangling by their safety harness and rope. Now, that was scary. They eventually took out one of the glass panels that lined the building and pulled them in. But if I was a window washer on a 65-story building, I would ask one thing for sure. Is this safety harness really safe? Is this cable 
to which I'm attached, is it secure? Can I have confidence in it? Can I trust in this safety cable and harness? And what Peter is telling us is that this book is worthy of our trust. Our, the scriptures were not just a bunch of authors getting together saying, hey, this would really be neat if we could write together something that we say it's from God. And let's just try to get really intricate and in thinking how we can make this all fit together over 15 or 1600 years, 40 different people. No. Peter says, men spoke from God. And as they wrote, the Spirit of God was carrying them along so that what they wrote was God's words to us. Pay attention to it. You see, Peter's point is this. The Bible is a sure testimony to the person of Jesus Christ. And he is the one that we need to get to know. He is the one that we need to emulate. He is the one whose life needs to be seen in and through us. So Peter's whole argument has been, we're equipped with everything we need to live for Jesus. Now let's pursue him. And beware of things that will trip us up in pursuing him. And in this day, when he wrote this, one of the things that was tripping people up was these false teachers saying, Jesus isn't coming back. Why live for him? Just do whatever you want. And Peter says, no, that's not true. I was an eyewitness to the reality of the glory of Jesus Christ with which he will be seen when he comes back and sets up his kingdom. I saw it with my eyes. I heard it with my ears. As the Father said, this is my son. Listen to him. And that just bolstered my confidence in the written word. That what I have in the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament writers is a sure record of God's word to us. That as these human authors of scripture wrote, they were writing the very words of God because the spirit of God carried them along. And now this book is integral to my own pursuit of Jesus Christ because it is a sure testimony of who he is. And I need a steady diet in it. As I come to my Bible to read it on a daily basis, I read the words and I pray over the words. Lately, I have been, just in my own personal testimony time, reading the book of Isaiah as I spend time in prayer and reading. And uh, two weeks ago, I read this verse out of Isaiah 17. And Isaiah 17, 10 says, For you have forgotten the God of your salvation and have not remembered the rock of your refuge. And that just hit me. And I just had to stop there and confess to the Lord. I said, you know, there's so much this week. I've forgotten you as my rock. You as my refuge. And I had to confess that to the Lord. And then just pray to him and said, you are my rock. You are my refuge. And claim that reality, that truth in my own life. And here, Peter is saying, we need to have such confidence in this book that we rely on it because it's a true testimony of the life changer, the person of Jesus Christ. And 
to get to know Him, we get to know this. And as we dig into this, we get to know Him in a deeper way. Not just to know about Him, but to experience Him. To experience the reality of Jesus Christ lived through us. So that when He comes back, He doesn't see us. He sees Himself lived out through us. That the Spirit of God is replicated in the life of Jesus Christ through your life and my life in such a way that when people see us, they don't see us, they see Christ in us. And Peter is saying, the Bible is God's very word to us. We can rely on it. Jesus Christ is coming back. That should motivate us to be living for him every day. We don't know when he may come. But when he comes, we want to be dressed in readiness. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that the Bible is God's very word to us. It's a reliable testimony to the life-changing truths of Jesus. And we praise you. Give us a passion this week that's motivated by Jesus' return. Help us every day to be mindful of the fact that today could be the day. Even so, come Lord Jesus. And that the reality of Jesus' return would have such an effect on us that we would desire in a greater way to take the steps we need to take to live for him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.